Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my goat-loving friends across the country. It's a tough day for goats, you know. Welcome to Datitude, episode number 17. For a Monday, November the 1st, 2021, it's All Saints Day in more ways than one. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Advocate Times McCune and bet.nola.com. You know... Goats sound a lot like sheep. Just saying, you know, Tom Brady, have you any wool? Well, in just about 10 to 15 minutes, we will have on Jeff Duncan, who is the greatest NFL columnist on the planet. And he will be on to talk about the Saints' great news, awful news, 36-27 to victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It should make for... An interesting segment. So much to talk about. But first, how are we feeling this morning, New Orleans? Remember the old days in the Dome when the Saints first started getting good? Well, there it is. That's sort of what I felt like yesterday. Score didn't necessarily feel like the old more days, but the outcome sure did and how they won. You know, speaking of the old days, it was 55 years ago today the New Orleans Saints were born, come into existence, and changed a lot of our lives in the process. All Saints Day. Can you imagine football without the Saints? Of course you can't. The team came into existence 22 months before I was born, so I certainly can't imagine what life would be like without them. I think you'd have to say, you know, there's a very good chance I wouldn't be doing this. Not that a ton of you care about that. But for me, you know, I may be a teacher or a high school baseball coach or who knows what, selling paper at Office Depot. Thank God for the Saints for sure. You know, enough fooling around. Before we get to Derry's Dime, here's your reminder. You can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com and on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr., you can listen to this podcast in a multitude of places, including wherever you're listening right now, on bet.nola.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Search for Datitude and make sure to subscribe. You can find out when the newest episode comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and on Friday. And we have a lot of fun on Fridays. We had fun the last two weeks making money for y'all. Want to give a shout-out to Caesars Sportsbook, who is an exclusive partner with us at the Advocate Times Picayune and bet.nola.com. In case you haven't noticed, the Sportsbook opened at Harris yesterday. Check it out. A few other spots around the state, which is outstanding. I was invited to go yesterday, but uh, I stayed home with the family on Halloween. I watched the game from home. Uh, I've seen the book. I saw it a few weeks ago. I can't wait to see what it looks like now that it's open because TV doesn't do justice. Pictures don't do justice. Videos don't do You got to go check it out. Um, and even, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of my friends who I didn't even realize, you know, a lot of my fantasy football playing friends. Um, 
I just assumed they would been betting their whole lives. And a couple of them, more than a couple actually, have said that they never really got into betting, and but now they're excited about trying it out. Of course, it can be a little dangerous. So one good thing about I like about the Caesars app that's coming, hopefully be live around Christmas, is you have to put a deposit. You can't just like bet without putting money in there. So you have to put money in there, and um, you you know you can't bet more than you put in. So hopefully that'll keep people from getting a little silly. Lord knows if they'd have had this when I was in my twenties, I probably would have been in trouble. But uh, I'm a, I'm quite a bit more responsible now that I'm in my fifties. <clears throat> um, did I say that on on the air? Um, if you go to bet.nola.com, you can download the not only download the app from there, uh, get a link to download it, but you can get a free $100 bet when the app goes live. So it's worth doing. I've already downloaded it. I put it in my deposit. Um, so I will get that free $100 bet when it goes live, and I'll be ready. Um, and if I can do it, you can do it. In fact, I, I've said it before, uh, Caesars ought to use the... The slogan, if Jim Derry can do it, you can do it. It's very simple, and the app is very easy to navigate. And, and you can go look at it now and, and like check out lines and, and stuff like that and look how, see how it's going to work with the live lines and all that stuff. Videos on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Mondays later today with Zach Ewing, Devin Jackson, and myself. Speaking of Zach, he's going to be on the show on Wednesday. Uh, Fantasy Roundup with Zach and Spencer the Guru Urquhart on Tuesdays. And at the book... Featuring cashing in with Carville. I've been kicking some James Carville butt the last few weeks. In fact, I've been kicking a, a lot of people's butts. I mean, uh, you know. my Zach was giving me grief yesterday for... I was talking a little smack yesterday. I got to admit. It was a pretty good day. Not just for the Saints, but... You know, if, if you've paid any attention to Five Star Friday the last two weeks... And you decided to bet what I told you to bet. Uh, you've had enough money to probably go have a really nice dinner two weeks in a row. I'm just saying. So check out Five Star Friday on Fridays. And check out At The Book on Thursdays here on bet.nola.com. Featuring cashing in with Carvel, Zach, Devin, and myself. Let's get to the dime before we bring on Duncan. And it's my weekly take on what I saw from the Saints the day before. Well, you've heard of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Yesterday was more a case of the great, the fantastic, and the what the bleep do we do now? But we're going to talk about the glad before the sad. The great? How about the running game? You think this team needed Mark Ingram back? What a kick in the pants he was. And I mean, he was, he was just fun to watch. Uh, you could tell how much this dude loved being back here and how much the Saints love having him back. I mean, it, it just gave this offense a jolt of life when they needed it most. He only rushed for 27 yards, but he did it with flair. He did it with an intensity. Alvin Kamara rushed for 61 yards and a touchdown, one that wouldn't have happened had Adam Troutman not made the block of the year. By the way, that was the same Adam Troutman who was beleaguered all week by a lot of hoodats for a drive-killing turnover in Seattle. I actually heard people say, this dude's terrible. He's never going to be anything. And then yesterday, I even had my son, the 23-year-old know-it-all boy genius. Well, he made a great block, so maybe he'll be a good blocking tight end. The dude's going to be a good tight end. 
Seriously. I mean, he, he really is going to be a good tight end eventually. Um, some, some guys can come in the NFL and do it right away, and some it takes a little bit longer. And I think Adam Troutman is going to be a fantastic tight end for this team. But the fantastic, well, that would be the defense. And I know they gave up 27 points, but still. You know, despite sort of falling into the quote-unquote Brady trap for about a quarter and a half, from the start of the third into the fourth, they get, got inside that goat's head. Bah. And they got the best of them again. I mean, be honest, though. When it got to 26-21, did you really think the Saints were going to win? When it got to 27-26 bucks, the Saints drove down the field, then passed it three times in a row, and had to kick a field goal to make it 29-27. And Brady was about to get the ball back with 121 to go, two timeouts left, and they need just a field goal. Did you think it would end in victory? If you say yes, you are a sweet, tart, bottle cap, Snickers-eating liar. Flat-out liar. But the defense did it. Although I would have preferred for sure if P.J. Williams would have just kneeled down in that final interception of the play, you know, that third goat turnover. But it's, it's tough not to take a pick six to the house and put that ball in your trophy case. <laughs> I, I saw P.J. Williams uh, after the game talk about how he got a little grief from his coaches for not laying that down. But I, I, look, it's tough. It worked out, and whew, boy, did it. Oh, that's great. You go back in time three weeks, and I'll talk about this with Duncan in just a few minutes, but the Saints knew they would have to win back-to-back-to-back games at Washington, at Seattle, and at home yesterday against Tampa Bay to have any shot at continuing a realistic chance at winning their fifth consecutive NFC South title. They did that. However, yesterday's win was about as costly as they come. I mean, the word is now, and everyone has seen it, that Jameis Winston has sustained, quote-unquote, significant damage to his ACL and MCL, and it appears likely now that his season is over. So that leads to the, what in the bleep do we do now? And I'll say this, and Peyton, we trust. Clearly, through the team's first seven games, Winston greatly improved each week, and it appeared as if Sunday... He was ready to have his finest game as a saint. He made outstanding decisions. He rushed for 40 yards when he had to before he injured his knee in the second quarter of a 7-7 game. Trevor Simeon came in. He performed admirably. 16-29 on his pass attempts, 159 yards, a touchdown, and interceptions. He didn't do anything special, but he didn't do anything to lose the game either, except maybe the one silly interception he got bailed out when William Golston knocked Simeon down long after he had released the ball. And just to digress for a second, that probably should have been offsetting penalties. You know, Golston had his helmet ripped off, but who am I to look a gift goat in the mouth? But the question is now, is Trevor Simeon the best person to lead this offense for the remainder of the season? Jeff Duncan is going to tell me in just a minute that it's not going to be Trevor Simeon for the rest of the season. But my opinion is, and some of you won't want to hear this, <laughs> Conductor Dave, but I think Trevor Simeon is probably a better option than Taysom Hill. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
What are the other options? My first thought, and I, I mean, you can't help but think this, right? What, I was wondering, could you talk Drew Brees out of retirement? But what kind of shape would he be in? And he certainly didn't appear Sunday night like someone who would be interested. So my second thought is, there's something can be worked out before tomorrow's trade deadline. Yes, November 2nd is the trade deadline in the NFL. Are there potential options? Would Chicago part with Andy Dalton now that they seem as if they're determined to go with Justin Fields? Would the Saints be interested? I mean, the Bears don't have a ton of hope left this season. They lost at home in San Francisco yesterday. And if they don't want to trade the Red Rocket, what about Nick Foles? He's just sitting on that bench wasting away the little time he has left in the league. Is he better than Simeon? Is he better than Taysom Hill? And don't even think about Deshaun Watson. It ain't happening. Besides the fact that Sean Payton would never bring in a guy with his ultra baggage into this locker room, it would take way more than the Saints could afford to, to part with to even get him. It's not gonna happen. So back to the original point. In Payton, we trust. If he can beat the defending Super Bowl champs in the supposed greatest NFL player of all time, that's right, I said supposed, with Trevor Simeon, then he likely can beat the Falcons and the Panthers and the Cowboys and the Titans, who now may be lost without Derrick Henry for the rest of the season, with whoever he decides to put under center. If he can do that, and the Saints do make that run at that division title, then you can forget Cliff Kingsbury, Matt LaFleur, Mike McCarthy, whoever else you want to throw in there. Sean Payton certainly will win the NFL Coach of the Year award if this team does win that fifth straight NFC South title. We'll see. And that is Derry's dime for week number eight. It is time to bring in my friend Jeff Duncan, get his take on this whole thing. And um, it was a very interesting conversation. We talked about an hour, and uh, about 50 minutes of it is on the Saints. Insight that not a lot of other people have. So uh, we also spend a few minutes, very few minutes, <laughs> not a lot, talking about the Pelicans and their 1-6 and six start and the LSU coaching search and where that goes from here. So let's get right to it. Bringing in Jeff Duncan to the Datitude podcast. Uh, Saints and overall sports columnist extraordinaire on this fine Monday morning. Who that's all over the place on this All Saints Day. Jeff are just jumping for joy. Well, sort of. They're jumping with one foot. Yeah, obviously there was bittersweetness to that game yesterday, J.D. Uh, losing Jameis Winston was uh, a severe blow. It's going to be interesting to see how the quarterback position plays out, but uh, I don't know uh, if anyone they have on the roster or even would be available will be able to re- replace a Winston. I think he was clearly their, their best option at quarterback. You know, let's save the, the let's save the bad. Um, like kind of like I did in my uh, my opening monologue here. Um, you know, I want to talk about the good uh, first, and um, you know what they did after they lost Jameis Winston was super impressive. I don't think there are 
many realistic Saints fans out there, and I'm talking about the realistic ones, not the ones riding the magic copper to think they're going to go 15 and two and win the Super Bowl by 40 over uh, Patrick Mahomes or something. Um, I think that uh, what the game plan was yesterday has been the same one it's been against Tampa Bay every time they played them, and it works to perfection. Um, not necessarily on offense. They did a fine job on offense. They did what they needed to do. But on defense, harass Tom Brady until he just gets aggravated enough to throw it to the other team. Yeah, it's the exact same game plan they used last year. They really didn't switch it up much at all. They, they used a few different, uh, few different tweaks uh, on third down. But really, it came down to third down. Uh, Dennis Allen threw a, a bunch of different it's typical Dennis Allen. Sometimes he comes with the pressure. Sometimes they back off. They blitz different people from different positions. It's really nothing too sophisticated, but the Saints just have the personnel to pull it off. And I do think after watching the game again this morning, J.D., one of the keys of that game yesterday, and and, and you're not going to probably hear it uh, from Saints fans, but one of the keys was how that game was called. Uh, Cleet Blakeman and his staff, let people get away with 100%. contact. And when that happens, that's a huge advantage for the, the Saints are one of the handsiest, most physical secondaries in the league. And when they're allowed to play that way, you see what happens. Good results. If they start getting those ticky-tack holding calls five yards downfield, it's a struggle. And yesterday, I, I thought the game was called well because these are two physical teams. Let them get after it and decide it on the field. And, and they did. And I thought the Saints uh, won out. Well, I also thought the Saints were, um, and Saints fans aren't going to agree with this because they would never agree with this, but I thought the Saints were a benefit of a couple, um, how should we say it, uh, very generous personal foul calls against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in particular, the play that may have ended Jameis' season was anything but a horse collar. Um, and that ended up leading to points. And um, I just thought that... Uh, that play was, you know, so you, you take the good with the bad, right? I mean, there are weeks when the saints and rightfully so we can complain about certain calls that are made or not made. But um, I thought the, the saints were definitely the benefit of, if you want to go through play by play and penalty by penalty, they certainly benefited from some of the calls yesterday. Well, there were 11 penalties for 99 yards against the bucks, Jim. And right. I think the saints had two for 10, Huge disparity, and, and the biggest call of the game, in, in my opinion, was actually the the uh, roughing the passer call against Trevor Simeon that negated an interception in the end zone. It, it ended up leading to a field goal, uh, but there were back-to-back roughing the passer calls, which very rarely happens in the NFL. Right. And what, what was key for that was that was right, you know, one series after Winston had been hurt, the Saints get a fumble, so they get some life in the crowd. I mean, the whole the whole stadium was kind of shell-shocked after Winston went down. Even the Saints' sideline seems subdued. They get the turnover, and then all of a sudden they get these two roughing the passer calls, and it gives them some momentum and some life, and they get a, they get a lead. And I just felt like that sequence right there was key because it gave some confidence to the Saints' offense. Uh, 30 yards, basically gift-wrapped, you get a field goal. And now all of a sudden, you got the lead, you got this good defense, and the, and the dome's rocking. 
So I, I thought those were that was a key sequence in the game late in the late in the second quarter. And on those two calls, I thought the first one was generous, um, but the second one clearly was roughing the passer. But at the same time, Golston didn't have his helmet on and he didn't take it off himself. And so for right. that not to be called, I mean, they certainly you know. Bravo, I guess you could say. But, yeah, I mean, look, we can talk about penalties and the, the Saints or whatever. Again, they they usually even out in the wash. You're never going to even out the no call. Um, that ain't going to happen. You could call – you could make 100 penalties called against the other team and it's still not going to even out the no call. But, uh, you know, the Saints did what they needed to do, and they do what they usually do and take advantage of things like the like that because when you get those kind of gifts – you have to take advantage. And I think Sean Payton's better than that at anyone. There's anyone. No, look, they played with an aggressive mindset. Yeah. Sean said after the game, they were going to be super aggressive. We saw that early. I mean, the Saints went for it on fourth and one in their own territory in their first drive of the game and didn't get Big it. mistake. And they, <laughs> and they held up, though. They held up. I, I didn't mind necessarily the – the decision is I did the call running right up the middle of the beat up. Yeah. That's not the best move of all I've seen them make, but I think he was trying to set the tone there and maybe send a, a message to Tampa that they weren't going to back down from them. They were going to try and run the ball, but early on uh, Tampa Bay defensively, their game plan was pretty clear. They were going to stack the box, stack the line of scrimmage, and they were going to come after the quarterback, whoever it was, Winston, Simeon, whoever, they were pressuring them. And I just saw a stat, next-gen stats had an incredible stat, said that uh, Tampa Bay pressured, brought extra uh, blitzers 22 times, 22 dropbacks, did not get a single pressure out of those 22 extra pressures. Uh, You can't protect the quarterback any better than that. There's no question about that. Going back to the fourth and one call for me, um, and I know I'm old school and I don't, care about analytics and you would think I would with as much as uh, numbers as I'm into. And I know this whole new group of people who are in analytics and you get fourth downs more and blah, blah, blah. But to me, when you go forward and fourth and one on your own side of the field in your first drive of the game, it tells me that we don't think we can beat you unless we pull out a couple uh, tricks out of the bag. And um, I didn't like the message that it sent, even if they would have gotten it, I still didn't like the message that it sent. But, again, you forget about things like this when you win. And um, uh, it, it worked out in the end, I guess. But to me, you, you don't get it. You're handing t- Most teams, you're handing them a field goal on a silver platter. When you do that against Tom Brady and you don't make it, you're handing him seven points. And I just didn't think the Saints could afford to hand seven points. I was wrong. But Yeah. Well, you make a good point. I mean, when you have a good defense like the Saints have, um, you know, you can see why you might go ahead and punt him deep, but I think that might have also uh, encouraged Sean Payton to go for it because he felt like his defense could go there in midfield. In in the past, I don't think he ever would have done that. Uh, but it, it, you're right. The Saints lived lived another day despite that uh, failed fourth down conversion. Had I told you before the game there would be 63 points scored in this game, what kind of odds would you have given the Saints? Yeah, no, I would have thought no way. I mean, uh, I thought this game would be in the low 20s, a lot of field goals because the Saints play such good red zone defense. But they gave up some big plays in the passing game, some explosives, and that's going to happen. I mean, the Tampa Bay leads the league 
in passing offense. It's the number one passing offense in the league for a reason. They've got dynamic weapons outside. They've got a great quarterback, and you can give it up sometimes, especially with the way the Saints play aggressively on the outside. Uh, the, the Bucks use a lot of bunch formations, crossing routes. Those things have always given the Saints man-to-man coverage problems, and they gave it up. But they held in there, and they and they did. It reminded me a lot of the old Greg Williams defenses in that you're going to give up some stuff, but you're also going to make some plays. And the Saints made enough of them yesterday to turn that game around. You talk about the tight man-to-man defense, and obviously that plays a, a big role um, when you're playing a guy like Brady. Um, I think if he had his brothers, he'd like to play cover two and, um, you know, a zone defense. And to some extent, the old Jamora defense is in a way. Um, but uh, what? why why are the Saints so success, have been so successful against? And it, it's not just his Tampa days. I mean, you think about some of the games the Saints lost against New England and, and the fluke, kind of fluke touchdown that they scored at the, at the end of the game. Uh, I think it was 2013. They win. Uh, Saints beat them up on a Monday night in 2009 in the Super Bowl season. But why have the Saints been, and again, that was a different defensive coordinator, but why have the Saints been more successful against Tom Brady than most teams? One reason, because their style of play is exactly kind of the, the antidote to the way Tom Brady plays. Tom Brady's a lot like Drew Brees, relies on timing, reading defenses, getting the ball out quickly to the receiver. And when you play physical man-to-man on the outside, that disrupts the timing. And there's a lot of the guessing game going on uh, between the quarterback and receiver. They have to be on the same page. And we saw yesterday, perfect example of that. Tom Brady throws to a spot where he's expecting Chris Godwin to be. He gets held up. I mean, Paulson Adebo clearly grabbed Chris Godwin beyond five yards. That timing got held up, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson peels off his man alertly and picks the ball off. That Those are the kind of plays. I remember J.D. being at the Super Bowl in 2001. You remember the Patriots? It was yes, the I first do. Super Bowl. Tom Brady won, and that was the greatest show on turf, the Rams. And I remember at halftime we're running into to Andy Mueller, the Saints general manager at the time, and the, the, the Rams were, you know, huge favorites in that game, double-digit favorites. That's right. And they were in a dogfight at halftime. And I asked Randy if he was surprised, and he said, nope, when I saw that the officials were letting New England's corners, Ty Law and that group, get physical and play physical on the outside, I knew it was going to be this kind of game. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the way the Saints play. And when they're able to do that, and not get called, it's going to be a long day for Tom Brady. He's going to make some plays, but he's also going to have some go the other way. You know, I thought it was interesting that after that long touchdown pass that gave Tampa the lead, um, I thought it was interesting. You saw Brady talking to an official for <clears throat> for several moments, not happy. So, I mean, clearly he was frustrated even on a scoring play. He does not like playing this team. You you can just tell. I mean, he gets frustrated. He's talking to officials more than he usually does, and he does it a lot. But he, he I mean, they just scored a touchdown. You're, you're about to take the lead, and you're in, in an official's face ticked off about something. Yeah, they're kind of getting in his head a little bit, and that doesn't happen very often with a guy that's been through so many wars as, as Tom Brady. And, look, I think it's going to be a totally different kind of game when they go down to Tampa, you can rest assured 
Tampa's going to have that game circled on their calendar after the way this thing ended. Uh, and you're going to have a different officiating crew. And it's just going to be interesting to see how that game plays out. But uh, uh, said that last the year. Saints, but, I mean, J.D., this was one the Saints had to win. They had to 100%. win this game. I mean, they would have been two and a half games back uh, with the quarterback situation that's uncertain. Uh, this game keeps them in the hunt. That, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, they now have a, a legitimate shot to still win the NFC South Division. I don't think that would have been the case if they would have lost it. There's zero doubt that this was a must win. I mean, zero doubt. I mean, and we've we talked about it earlier. We've talked about it for the last three weeks. But really, to me, uh, when they lost to the Giants, uh, you were staring a, a, a must three-game win streak right in the face um, to even have any shot at winning the division. You can because you know what they're going to do. I mean, their their floor, their absolute, and I've said this for weeks, and I don't care. Their absolute floor is twelve wins, and they're probably not going to get to twelve. I mean, it's probably going to be more like thirteen. But uh, so for them to be twelve and five at the end of the season means you got to be at least twelve and five, and you got to beat them twice. You have no choice, which means the Saints have little room for error even now going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think the Saints knew that, and that's why they kind of threw everything at this game. And you could sense it. I mean, I think Tampa Bay came in knowing exactly what they were going to get. Uh, they were amped up. I mean, there, there was high emotion in that game on both sides of the ball. Sure. I think the Saints handled it a lot better than Tampa did. And it's funny because Tampa's the, the Super Bowl champs. Uh, you know, they, they're the, a very experienced team, brought back everybody from that team. And Bruce Arians talked all week. I read all of his comments, saw the, the Zoom interviews with him, where he said, we've got to keep our emotions in check. We can't get stupid penalties. He talked about it. And it still played out exactly uh, the way he didn't want it to. And he, he was upset after the game with how his, how his team responded. There might not be a better team in the NFL that does uh, a job of just flat out pissing off their opponent than the New Orleans Saints. I mean, you look at a Marshawn Lattimore and, and Gardner Johnson and, and a lot of other guys, they know how to, like, push their opponents right to the brink. Now, sometimes they're guilty of it themselves, and they go a little bit too far. We saw that with Lattimore last week in Seattle. But um, they know how to push them right to the brink and stop them like, go ahead, dude, go ahead. And they, they just push buttons. Yeah, and, and Sean Payton's talked about that. Uh, that it is an emotional game, and so he wants his players to play with emotion. And he even said after the game yesterday that he was worried about the energy his team might have because they they flew back on Tuesday from the West Coast. Uh, it was a short week of preparation. He was worried they might be a little bit uh, you know dull, even though it was a big game. And uh, that was not the case. I mean, they were into it. You could tell. And I think that three o'clock kickoff, Jim, was good for for the yeah. for the. The, the atmosphere of the dome. I think Saints fans were amped up. They've been anticipating this game for a while. They had extra time. It was a beautiful day to go tailgate, and you could just feel the energy and the electricity in the Superdome by kickoff. I had some fellow prognosticators, I guess, uh, call me a an idiot or something along those lines. Uh, that's not what they said off the air, but uh, for what I said about, it, I thought Seattle was the bad spot, really. And they say they were coming off a bye. It doesn't make any sense. That that literally doesn't make any sense. And I said, I'll tell you why. It come. It's a bad spot. Seattle was a much more bad spot because they spent. Who knows how much of their bye week they spent on Tampa Bay? I mean, 
you you can talk about teams don't look ahead all you want, but you can uh, you can bet that this Saints team spent at least as much time on Tampa Bay they did that week leading up to Seattle as they did on Seattle themselves. And to me, that's why, and the defense was obviously outstanding and they carried the game. But I mean, you talk about receivers running bad routes, dropping balls, uh, Kamara having a tough time against an average to below average defense. Um, I think they were thinking about Tampa Bay the whole time they were in Seattle. So and to me, it showed up yesterday, and that's why I thought the Saints had an excellent chance to win the game yesterday because they have, to me, clearly played better. Just in the Sean Payton era, they play better against better teams. They, they just do. I mean, Lattimore plays better against the top wide receivers, and to me, the, the team as a whole, the better the team, the better the effort you're going to get. That's why Atlanta scares me next week. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, that's a great point. I, you know, I tweeted out this number. It's it's remarkable, Jim. They're eleven and two now as an underdog since 2018, winning the game outright, not just covering the spread. I mean, is there a better gambling trend in, in all sports than the Saints as an no. underdog? I mean, you can bet them straight up to win the game. It's 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 really I remarkable. <laughs> yeah, it, no, and I know a lot of people. I was doing my Fox Eight gig. Uh, on Sunday with Juan Kincaid, he was giving me grief about being a homer picking the Saints. And I said, I think they legitimately can win the game. I go, the game you worry about with the Saints is when they're expected to win, like this week That's against right. Atlanta, like the Carolina game, you know, their favorite on the road. Uh, those are the games where they tend to have a drop-off, and it's human nature to do that, uh, especially a team that's won as much as the Saints have over the last few few years. You and I have done shows together for probably about, oh, I don't know, six or seven years now, off and on here and there. Can you imagine me being called a homer? I mean, good Lord, I look, don't get me wrong. I root for him as much as anybody when I'm sitting in my, my den and it's just me and no one can hear me. But when I'm on in the air, I tell you what I think. I always have. And I've been called, I mean, I, there's a reason why I've been called Derry Downer. And I thought it was hilarious this week, this past week, that I was called a homer. I mean, I, I truly, I, I, I thought it was hilarious because I was all over the Saints this week from day one. And I, the Saints just match up well with this team. They will match up well with this team as long as Tom Brady is there. I know as stupid as that sound. And when you got a guy like, look, no offense to Bruce Arians, okay, but he's not Sean Payton. And when you got Sean Payton against Bruce Arians, I'm going to take Sean Payton probably 10 times out of 10 or pretty close to it. I think Sean is now six or seven and one against Bruce Arians. That's all. And if you Jared know. Cook doesn't fumble, they're eight no. Yeah, I mean that's all you need to know. And um, I think he's got a good staff. Uh, you know, I like Todd Bowles. I think Byron Leftwich is going to be a head coach in the league. They've I got agree. a good staff, but uh, the Saints are coaching as well as any team in the league right now. I mean, they're just. I made this point on a radio show earlier today, and I don't want to disparage LSU. Uh, with what's going on down there because it's a difficult situation. But, you know, you just read every week, oh, so-and-so's out, so-and-so's hurt. Uh, you don't hear that out of the Saints ever. They don't make excuses. Sean Payton does not allow his never. team to play the victim card. He just doesn't allow it. And I've said before, I've written it. It's a great lesson for everybody. Uh, whether you're a football fan or a sports fan or not, difficult times, you get adversity, roll up your sleeves, 
and, and go to work and, and quit making excuses. I mean, we tend to do that a lot uh, in this state, I think. And, and, you know, look, rightfully so. We're like ranked low in every percentage of every, I mean, every category and everything. But we've got to stop that attitude. And I always point to the Saints as a, a, a great role models. And it all starts with the mindset of the head coach. And, and look, there have been times when he's made sarcastic remarks back at me when of questions I've asked of him or made me look kind of tried to make me look small, which is hard to do because I'm a pretty big man. But um, or, or said something to my colleague that's pissed me off or uh, and gone through come after a loss with no emotion. And I've made fun of him for it. And but you know what? It, I mean, it, it's the same as Bill Belichick in a way. I mean, he really is a guy that at least on the exterior is not too high after a win and not too low after a loss. And um, I'm sure it rubs off on the people that he works with and the people that play for him. I think it's really the Bill Parcells yeah, coaching philosophy. I mean, sure. you, you, mentioned Bill, you mentioned Bill Belichick. It's also Nick Saban. They're all the right. same way. And there's a reason these guys are uber successful is because they learned under the tuna and that That's was right. his mentality. And, and, and he refused to let his teams make excuses. And I think that's trickled down to that locker room. And you just see a very resilient, resourceful team that can respond to any uh, set of adversity. And we saw that yesterday in the dome. How many really ultra successful coaches have not pissed off their media brethren on a regular basis? Yeah, it happens. I mean, Sean's actually gotten Sean's yeah, he's gotten definitely really better. good. Yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's, sure. he's gotten a, a million times better. I mean, he he's like a lot of coaches. I mean, he doesn't suffer fools well, uh, but I, I think he we've all covered him long enough to know. And one thing I'm learning it, with being around him as long as I have, I can tell in the first minute what that press conference is going to be like yeah. uh, just by his mood. And if he's in one of those irritable uh, you know, stubborn <laughs> moods, you might as well just call it a day and, and, and try him the next day because you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be pounding your head against the wall trying to get something out of him. And uh, there's some days when you can just tell right away he's going to be expansive, and that's the day when you need to milk it as long as you can. Look, I have no problem with it. Um, you know, I've, you and I both, I mean, we've been dealing with coaches – on whatever level you want to call it for 30 plus years. And it is what it is. And coaches are who they are. And uh, you know what? A lot of times when there's no microphone in front of them or um, light in front of them or whatever, and it's one-on-one, they're different people. And, um, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. They're doing their job. Uh, He talks about do your job all the time. And there are a few people on this planet that does – the job that he does better than him. So. No, no, it's, it's a great point. I think, I think he respects the media. Uh, sometimes it's hard to believe that, but I think he does. Uh, I think he'll go into the media when he stops coaching. Uh, but he, you do. Wants everyone to, he wants everyone to work as hard as he and his team do. And uh, he respects the, the reporters that cover the team that work hard. Um, you see, I think I by the time, by the time I think he's ready to hang it up, I think he'll be, I mean, he may sh- and he and he's done things. I've seen him on ESPN and done some things here and there, but I don't know that it, you're going to have to shove him out the door. I think, um, and obviously, 
with the relationship he has here. And there are very few coaches that could have gone through that. What was it? Uh, 14, 15, 16, or 15, 16, 17 stretch of going seven and nine, three years in a row. And idiots like me wondering whether he, he had not, I wasn't questioning whether he was a good coach. I was questioning whether his heart was still in it, I guess. Um, and he showed that that, that I was wrong about that, but I think he's the kind of guy and he'll stay here as long as he wants. They're not going to, they're never going to, I think they could go like two and 14, two years in a row, which never would happen under him, but they could go two and 14, two years in a row and he'd still have his job. And the saints have actually showed propensity to keep coaches longer than maybe they should have. Um, but I, you, I, I could see him coaching for another 12 or 15 years. And he, he takes, he takes so many things as challenges like the Jameis Winston thing. And we're going to get into Jameis in just a minute, but he took Jameis Winston as a project. Like, people don't think I can win with Jameis Winston. Well, I'm going to show you how I can. Not only can I win with Jameis Winston, but I'm going to turn this guy into the quarterback that everybody thought he was as a first-round draft pick. And you know what? I've said it for weeks. Every single week, except for Carolina, every, and every single week I've seen major progression from Jameis Winston. That's why yesterday was such a shame, not just as a Saints fan, as a football fan, to me, to see the progression that he was at, you could tell that he was super ready for that game. And a lot of guys in his position going against their former team would have thought it was too big and not be able to make the decisions that he made. He's not a running quarterback, but yet like Drew, neither was Drew Brees. But when Drew Brees, if you left that middle of the field open for him and you were going to blanket those receivers deep, he was going to take the 10 or 15 yards that you were going to give him. And I thought that Jameis Winston's decision-making yesterday was as good as any quarterback in the NFL this season in that little bit of time he played yesterday. Yeah, no, he was playing great. I mean, his, his scrambles, uh, you know, converting first downs with his uh, running, the pass he threw to Traquan Smith on the corner route in the end zone was perfectly placed, uh, beat a zero blitz. Uh, you could not execute any better than that. And, and I thought he was – you could see it in his eyes, right? He had that kind of confident look in the body language that he was prepared for that game and was very confident that the Saints were going to win. And, and I agree with you. I haven't seen too many situations like that in my career where a guy goes down and you have four players in the, in the injury tent uh, consoling him and supporting him. Uh, that speaks volumes to just how beloved he is as a teammate and um, – you know, everyone knew that game meant a lot to him. And everyone knows this season means a lot to him. And now it looks like it's going to be over. We haven't heard a final MRI report, which I'm sure he's getting today. Uh, but the early diagnosis sounds like it's a, it's some kind of ligament damage that could be season-ending. And that's a tough blow for him um, in this kind of crossroads seasons in his career. The best part about – there's no good part about when someone gets hurt like that, no matter who it is. But – when Jameis was on that card, the first person I saw go up to him was Traquan Smith, whom he basically berated in front of the country last week. So it just goes to show how much a guy like that is loved. I mean, I, and you can talk about the, the dancing on crutches in the locker room and all that stuff, but I mean, you could tell how much this, this kid is liked in that locker room by that one moment to me, because it's hard with the professional athlete that we have today. You get lambasted in front of, you know, 
millions of people on national television on a Monday night football. And you might not want to come back and talk to that dude. And not only that, the first pass he threw in the game was to Traquan Smith. So I thought that said a lot about Jameis Winston. No, it's a great point. And uh, there's no doubt he's a likable guy. I, I didn't really know him that well before he got here. So you have this perception of him before he gets to new Orleans and the, the dealings I've had with him, JD, I mean, it's hard not to like it. Uh, you know, he's just an engaging guy, a very positive personality. Like Sean Payton said it yesterday, glass half full attitude. And uh, everyone I've talked to around the building. And so part of my job as a columnist, as a reporter, is finding out what people are really like. We don't get to spend as much time around them as we used to with the COVID limitations. And uh, so I talked to a lot of people in the building behind closed doors about what these people are really like that I'm covering. And you don't hear a negative word about Jameis Winston from anybody. I mean, anybody. They all love him in that building. Uh, and and that that's, says a lot because when the lights go off, he treats people just as well as when the lights are on. And that's not always the case. You know, I thought also a telling moment was you don't see Sean Payton tear up very often. I mean, not just the fact that he was talking about how like, he cried a little bit when he, when, he heard the, when he saw him go down the second time and he knew that it was serious. But even in the press conference, like talking about it, he, he clearly, there's no acting there. He clearly got emotional. And um, it just goes to show what in this short time that Jameis has probably become a key role on this team, because um, it, it wasn't until Drew Brees retired, let's face it. He probably didn't even get to know him all that well. I mean, I'm sure he interviewed him and talked to him and tried to figure out what would happen if Drew Brees went down. But you don't, you have to feel like he probably didn't really get to know him at all until March. And to, to have those kind of emotions, it clearly affected him. Well, I think it's clear that both Jameis Winston and Sean Payton have a lot invested in each other. Sean Payton... Talk to Jameis Winston to coming back here. Uh, he could have gone other places, maybe played for more money. And he, he had to trust Sean Payton that he would get the opportunity and that it would be a fair sh- shot at the starting job. And Sean Payton lived up to that promise. And I think Jameis Winston staying here, uh, realizing this is a great opportunity for less money, said a lot to Sean Payton. So there, there was a relationship that had been growing there. And I think we were seeing that start to blossom. Uh, and there was a, a learning curve involved. It was going to happen. I, I've written about that. It, it was not going to happen overnight. I know people were frustrated, but we were, we were seeing, uh, I think, the foundation of maybe a long-term quarterback-head coach tandem here. And it might still be a way, uh, but it's certainly going to be a setback here for the rest of the season. You know what's more frustrating than the way that fans think he played in the early part of the season. The frustrating part is we won't get to see what he would be like in week 18 and then into the playoffs because I think, I truly believe this, and I've believed this for a few weeks now because I was one, I was one of those naysayers in the beginning. The way he played against Green Bay, I don't, I mean, that was the flukiest route uh, in the history of the Saints, right. the Saints organization. They had no business winning by as big a score as they did. Um, Jameis, I thought, was awful. I mean, I don't care. I, don't, I know he threw five touchdown passes, but he was awful. And I don't, obviously, the Carolina game was weird, but just to, how much he improved. I would have loved to have seen 
I think he would have been incredibly incredible, but I think he would have been a top five or six or seven quarterback by the end of the season had this not happened. Well, he certainly would have had the chance, I think, to, to get up there. That would be the ceiling, I think. But he had, look, he was the first guy to admit. I mean, he, he had to keep improving. I mean, uh, I know this narrative going around. I have not bought into it at all, Jim. This whole receiver narrative. Things take take on a life of their own in, in you know, New Orleans Saints coverage land. And yeah. suddenly that's become the thing. They have to right. trade for a wide receiver. And, uh, you know, I, I watch every game multiple times. And, yeah, there's some times where they get covered and there's not a lot of separation. But there's a lot of times where guys are wide open. And Winston yeah. is not seeing them. And I think the Saints, well, I don't think, I know, the Saints coaches see that. Everyone sees it. Jameis Winston sees it. He knows it, and that's to be expected. He's he's working his way into this new offense, and there's a lot coming at him. It's a complicated system. And uh, Drew Brees would miss open receivers. It happens. Right. So uh, I, I don't think this the magic bullet is going to be, oh, we're going to go out and get Andre Hopkins or something. That, you know, that that's not the answer here. Uh, they need to keep working on it. There's a lot of things that go into this passing attack that were holding it back. But he was getting better every week, and um, I think the Saints felt optimistic about where that was going to go. Yeah, I thought your column about, uh, you know, it taking us back 15 years in time and uh, Drew Brees, his first uh, half of a season with, with Sean Payton, you know, people forget. I mean, he wasn't the Drew Brees that we got to know. And right. really, really, Dunk, I, Drew Brees wasn't Drew Brees, like the Drew Brees we knew until probably maybe 2009, really. I mean, don't get me wrong. He had great stats, and he it was clear to say that this was going to be a guy that could be your franchise quarterback for a long time. But he wasn't the Drew Brees that we know now. You can't remember back then, but you can't remember the bad things from 05, I mean, not 05, 06 or 07 or 08. I mean, because... You don't think about that. The Saints, that's like PSB, pre-Super Bowl. I mean, you know, you don't think about that kind of stuff. But And he became, to me, the Hall of Fame quarterback in 2009. And what he did the first three years, it took a long time for him to become who he was. Yeah, it kind of really happened like the second half of 2008. If you remember, that's when he went on that run where he almost, almost broke Dan Marino's record that year. Right. And it, 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 but it took the Saints a while to figure out what he did well. It took, you know, Sean Payton a while to, to scheme it up and, and to, to eliminate plays. And then it also took them a while to find the right perimeter players in the system. By 2008, they brought in Shockey and they had that great receiver core with Lance Moore, Meacham, Henderson, Colston. And all of a sudden things took off and they were this juggernaut offensively, but they needed to fix the defense. And they did that in the 2009 offseason. We saw what happened. But I agree with you. It, it, people forget that 2016 uh, was, you know, was really not all that good of a team. They just they, they had good, gritty defense. They had a good running game with Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush. And they kind of caught fire early and played on emotion. And then they were about a 500 team after about week six. And it showed up in the playoffs. They won the home game. Then they go to Chicago and get beat. Yeah, they were exposed uh, they were by Rex Grossman. Well, and Sean Sean Payton brings this up all the time. People forget they were ten and six that year, got the number two seed in the playoffs, and got a home game. Uh, you know that just never happens. Now, they've been no. thirteen and three and not gotten the number two right. seed in other years. So it was just kind of one of those magical years uh, that they just kind of. It kind of reminds me a little bit of this year's team, and that 
They're a gritty team. They're defensive-minded. They're better running the ball, and they're going to win games because they're well-coached, and they're not going to beat themselves. And you can win a lot of games that way in the NFL. Yeah, they're, they're going to – look, I mean, let's be real. They're going to need a little divine intervention to, uh, to make this a special season. I mean, and they could. I'm not saying they can't. But, uh, and I think what they did yesterday was great. But I think they, you still have to think that even if they go to Tampa Bay and, and beat the Buccaneers, I think you're going to need a lot of help to win a fifth straight NFC South championship because this is not the kind of team that I think that can offensively can do week after week what, what you need them to do. Um, and with that, I mean, I want to talk about the quarterback situation people that are listening to this today on Monday uh, and we'll know an answer by tomorrow afternoon. Um, Do you think there's any chance that the saints go out and try to make a trade for another quarterback? No, I'll be surprised at that. I think they're going to ride with Taysom Hill. And I mean, you never say never with this front office, they're aggressive, uh, but they, you know, they've got, Taysom Hill is going to probably be the starter when he gets back. You think so? I mean, it's a fluid. Oh, no, he's definitely going to be the starter. Uh, There's no doubt about it. I mean, when he comes back, he'll be the starter. Now, when that is, I don't know. If he can't get back this week, Trevor Simeon will will be who they roll with, and they'll probably activate Ian Book. But they've got three quarterbacks that they like. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've heard all this talk about Cam Newton. Look, if they sign him tomorrow, I'll admit I'm wrong. But I just – do not see that in any way no happening. There's a reason Cam Newton's been sitting out there for a long time. No one's come after him. He's not played well. He doesn't really fit the Saints' offensive not system at all. at all. I don't. I don't see that being a matchup at all. I, I think what would would interest me most is if I had to go out there. There are two quarterbacks that I would target in a trade, and they play for the same team. Um, if I were the Saints, I'd reach out and see what the interest what would it what would it take to get an Andy Dalton or a Nick Foles from the Bears. Um, because I think both of those quarterbacks would fit in here. And I don't think it would especially with an Andy Dalton who's a seasoned veteran and has played now for, for three teams, I think he would fit in right away. And I had a friend of mine say, No, no, not the Red Rocket. But I mean I I, I think he would be a good fit here. So I think if it was gonna if they were gonna make a move if, and I kind of agree with you, I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to roll with what they got. But I think if they were going to make a move, it would be for somebody like that. I just feel like it's not that desperate yet. I mean, they've got two guys. They only have a day to decide is the problem. Well, here's the thing, Jim. I mean, you just have to think about it. Pull, pull back a little bit and think about it logically. You've got two yeah. quarterbacks, Taysom Hill, who, who you thought was going to compete for the starting job and did compete for the starting job. Assuming he's back this week or next week, clearly this is a guy that they have confidence in. And then you've got Trevor Simeon, who you just had win a huge game. They both know the system. They've been in it for multiple years. Bring in Andy Dalton, anybody. They don't know this offense. They're not going to come in and, and be as productive and as efficient in this offense as someone that's been in it for two years. And they've got two guys, and really a third guy, because Ian Book's been here for, for now a while. I just, I'd be shocked. Now, if you get another injury, then they'll probably have to go that route. But right now, I think they're going to ride with what they've got. It just, I mean, I, I'm look, 
I was down on Jameis, so I'm probably wrong about these two guys, but I just don't think what I saw yesterday, um, and and you're talking about a guy who hadn't played in four years, so I, I get it, and I'm not trying to be down on him, but I, I remember watching him in Denver and thinking, who? This franchise thinks this guy can be their quarterback, and there's a reason why they moved on quickly. And nothing against him. I, I mean, he could turn out to be uh, a great fill-in, and I just don't think Taysom Hill is the answer. I, I love Taysom Hill, as, as, and we have conducted – we have Dave DeCorbier on every week, and we do the choo-choo thing, and he, he makes a joke about it. But I just don't think that either one of these guys are guys that could lead you to where you want to go. Not that you have a lot of choices right now, but – and look, I hope I'm wrong. I really do, because you and I, I mean, we – we we're human. We 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 can say we don't, but we root for the Saints. I mean, because it makes our lives a lot easier when the Saints win. So I mean, looking to see who. I just don't think that these two guys. And I and tell me that I'm wrong, please. Well, I think you're wrong. I mean, I think I Good. think they can win a lot of games with Taysom. I mean, they won games last year with Taysomville. Uh, they can win games. One of them was Denver when they didn't have a quarterback. I don't know, but they're, he's going to be the guy. I'm telling you. There's he's absolutely 31. no doubt. He's, he's going to be – so what? Big deal. Tom Brady's 44. I mean, you know, there's a lot of life in that in, the, in that quarterback uh, body of his. I, I just think the key is going to be is he is he going to be able to play with this concussion? How far along is he in the protocol? But when he comes back, and I think the key is going to be this week's game, they need to know really tonight and tomorrow is when the game plan goes in what they've got at quarterback because they got to tailor the offense to, to that skill set. And I think it's such a fluid situation with Taysom. Uh, they probably are going to have to go with Trevor Simeon this week, and they might be able to get away with it uh, against a struggling Atlanta team in the Superdome. It's dangerous to think that way, but I think, you know, it's not like they're playing a, a world beater this week. And maybe you get another week out of Simeon. You can each skeech by in that game. And then you got a rough touch coming up, man, where you got, Three of the best teams in the NFL, Tennessee, Buffalo, and Dallas, in the next four games, that's when you're going to want to have Taysom Hill uh, to go to battle with. I love you, Jeff Duncan, and you're probably the best – not probably. You're the best sports columnist I know. Um, But uh, you're comparing goats to bulls, and uh, that's kind of a stretch. I'm just saying. What do you mean, a stretch on what? What? You're you're saying that that, that Tom Brady's 44 and Taysom – you can't well, no, talk I'm just about saying, like, Tom Brady being that, 44. That, I mean, I don't, I don't think the age matters though. 31 doesn't matter. I mean, for a uh, guy you know, like, like I, him that does it with his physicality, I think it absolutely matters. I don't think Taysom Hill is ever going to be a starting quarterback more. I mean, look, if you have to, you have to. And I know Sean saw, talked about this for multiple years now that Taysom Hill is going to be a starting quarterback. But but beyond the fact that I've seen enough to to really. I just don't believe that he's ever going to be a real starting quarterback that's ever going to do anything. But, but beyond that, if I'm even if I'm wrong, the way that he plays football, I don't see this being kind of a kind of guy who's going to do it past like 34, 35 years old. He just plays the game too hard. It's kind of like a running back who's done when he's 32. 30. I mean, look at what is Mark Ingram, like 32? And then he's certainly at the very tail end of his career. And by the way, we never even mentioned him, but thank God he was back yesterday. But well, another, another I don't think anybody's talking about Taysom Mill being the the guy for the future. I think you're talking. Oh, about I thought that's what you season. were saying. 
No, okay. I'm saying get through this okay. season with him. And, uh, you know, he, he's okay. going to be the starting quarterback the rest of the year. I think all these, uh, you know, these, these people trotting out trade scenarios and stuff. Okay, I, mean, I, I see. No, I think I think he's the guy to carry them through the season. Hopefully, they get Jameis Winston back. And and I don't know if Jameis Winston's a long term guy. I don't I don't know if they've made up their mind yet on that. I mean, there were some questions uh, internally. I know that. I mean, there were some frustrations with how the offense was going, uh, but it was getting better. So we'll, we'll see what that's what's way off in the future. Uh, they've got to get through this season and and really get through this week. And I think it'll probably be Trevor Simeon. Uh, and then, then they'll have to activate Ian Book to be the backup. And we, we still don't know who the emergency quarterback was. I'm trying to figure that out in the press box yesterday. Dave, Dave, texted me. Dave DeCorbier texted me, and I don't know where he found this out, but it was AK apparently. Well, yeah, that, that's what we all surmised too, that they would go to a uh, wildcat attack with, with uh, Alvin Kamara. There were some people that wondered if maybe Adam Troutman, because he played high school quarterback, but – it wasn't going to be a good situation no. if, if Simeon went down. No, and I, and I misunderstood you. I thought you we were talking longer future. Um, and, again, I hope yeah. I'm wrong. And I don't know who the better – I mean, look, I, I said it before you came on, and I, I'll say it now, and Sean Payton, we trust. Whatever he thinks is the, is the right move, to me, is probably the right move. So he knows way better than I do. Um, moving on <clears> – <throat> Just real quick, talking about the, the future, and we talked about um, Atlanta coming in, and every time Atlanta comes in, we've seen them come in at 2-8 at and eight and beat, this, beat a Saints team that was probably worthy of playing in the Super Bowl. So you can't think about it, and Atlanta's got their own problems. Calvin Ridley's now out for who knows how long. Um, we wish him the best in all seriousness. Um, I've had a, I've had uh, family members that have had mental illness, and it's it's a real thing, and it's it's a struggle. So we we wish the best for Calvin Ridley, but this is the kind of game where Atlanta coming off just this ugly performance, probably their worst performance of the year, and couldn't you just see them coming in the dome and giving giving it their all and playing their best? And no one knows the Saints better than Matt Ryan. Well, I think this game comes down to one thing for me, and that is, is this defense going to come to play? Because if the Saints defense plays with the energy and emotion that they played with yesterday, even close to that, uh, they're going to take apart Atlanta. But if they come with one of those lax performances, which we've seen from time to time, we saw it, it occurred in in that Giants game where all of a sudden they couldn't stop the New York Giants, who've won, what, two games all year, I think? That's Uh, right. If they if they do not come with it, this game will be a it'll be a battle. But if they come, I think uh, the, the Saints should have no trouble shutting down Atlanta. They really have no running game to speak of, and uh, now with Ridley out, I don't know other than Pitts. Uh, you know, they really don't have the weapons. I think to move the ball consistently, and the Saints have always always had success attacking Matt Ryan and getting him off his mark. He does not throw well on the run with any kind of movement. And I, I think that front four, uh, with what we saw yesterday, should be able to successfully uh, get after him and cause problems. And they can win a game much like they did yesterday where they ride their defense in the short fields, get some field goals. I mean, that's how they're going to manufacture points with whoever is a quarterback going forward. Taysom Hill, whatever. You get these 
30, 30 yard, 40 yard drives because you're, you're playing great special teams and defense. It's not that hard to get three points here, seven points there, and, and you win a game in the low 20s. Well, I'll tell you, and what scares me, and we've seen it throughout his past, and I don't understand it at all because he's certainly one of the top three or four cornerbacks in the, in the NFL. But Marshall and Lattimore just kind of, especially now that he's played in back-to-back weeks coming off the bye, he's had Mike Evans and DK Metcalf in, in back-to-back weeks. Who is that for Atlanta? There's no Ridley. Julio Jones is gone. I, I hope he doesn't just take the week off, which, which makes me nervous. And let me tell you something. One thing I have watched about Atlanta, and they are what they are good at, is Cordero Patterson is just a freak of nature, and that dude can play football. And if you don't pay attention to him, and you talk about Kyle Pitts emerging into, really, he has potential to be a Travis Kelsey-type tight end. Um, so they certainly have enough weapons to, to make a dent in your defense if, you're, if you don't come to play. No, I, I totally agree. It's going to come down to the energy and enthusiasm. I'm sure Sean Payton's going to have that in his message to his team this week uh, because they've got to keep pace. Look, here, Tampa Bay's got a week off. The Saints win this week. They're tied for first. Actually, they're in first because they have the, the win head-to-head against Tampa. And all of a sudden, you've got the whole rest of the season in front of you, but you've got that really difficult stretch. This is the most difficult Which stretch. Which is why they could be looking ahead. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to take it. But they've been good at taking it a week at a time yeah. for the most part this year. So I, I, I'll be surprised if they lay down, especially if the Dome – the Dome's got to bring it too. I mean, sometimes the Dome tends to reflect the, the emotion of the team. You know? Yeah, and, and uh, yesterday there was just no way that – that Superdome crowd was going to let the Saints uh, allow the Saints to not play with energy. I mean, they once that game turned, like in that second quarter, with that turnover by Brady, those those personal foul calls, roughing the passer, the Dome said, like, hey, wait a second, we can win this game. Let's get into it. You can just feel the energy, and they kind of carried the team. Spoiler alert. Um, I can tell you I, right now, that my pick this week will be, I don't think I'm going to have, I don't think I will have enough in me to even pick the Saints to, to lose, although it wouldn't shock me if they lose. But this is not a good spot, and I look at it now, it's the line's already going from five to five and a half. I will certainly, it'll probably be six and a half or seven by the end of the week, um, and I'll be picking Atlanta against the spread. I just, I mean, and I know that's not your thing. You do it because we asked you to do it. It's not really your thing, but uh I mean, it'd be tough to lay. This is going to be one of those tight slobber knocker. You thought this week was going to be like a 23-20 type game? I think this week coming up is going to be a game that's in the low 20s. It could be like a 20-17, to 17, a 23-19 to 19 kind of ugly score, something silly happens kind of games. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. You know the team well, and uh, this is just one of those ones. I think, I think very similar to that Seattle game. Um, yes. And I've used this analogy before, just survive in advance, you yes. know, just, just get, get the win. Everybody was all upset after that Seattle game. I was, I was there, man. That, that was exactly what I expected. Get the lead, overcome that early big touchdown they gave up. Now all of a sudden you're down seven, nothing. You're on hostile territory. You're on the road in bad weather conditions. And now you're down a touchdown. So the saints got back, got the lead. And then they managed that game. I thought perfectly once they got it. Uh, and I was there. It was bad weather. I know it didn't look that bad on TV, but trust me, it was bad. And you saw Seattle yesterday scored 30-something points, 
they weren't throwing the ball over the field against the Saints in that game either. I mean, neither team could really move the ball through the air. Uh, and, and I think that's what they'll do in this game. With Trevor Simeon probably a quarterback, Sean Payton's going to manage it, try to win, and then hopefully get Taysom Hill back, assuming he's not back this week. And, and then I think they can kind of go from there. And people forget, you were two dropped, easy drop passes, Kevin White, Kenny Stills, um, Traquan doesn't run the right route, Troutman fumbles in the, in, I don't know if it was the red zone or pretty close to the red zone. I mean, that easily, the game easily could have been 27 to 10. Yeah, you're talking about the, the Seattle game, of course. Yeah, right. it, was, it was just tough. I mean, I cut the receivers some slack because it was bad, man. It was wet. It was windy as hell. Uh, you know, it was not an easy place to catch a football. I watched pregame guys dropping it all over the place. Punt returners, ball was moving 15 yards in the air from side to side. And uh, it was going to be difficult to win that game passing the ball. That's why I think both sides were stacking the line of scrimmage, trying to shut down the run. And the Saints wisely just said, we're going to put this game on, on Alvin Kamara's shoulders. He's the best player on the field. Before I let you go, um, I want to touch on very briefly the Pelicans. And um, I know people are still reveling in there, the Buccaneers and all that stuff. But, I mean, in case you haven't noticed, and you probably haven't, the New Orleans Pelicans are off to another dreadful start. And, again, this whole Zion debacle and who knows how long this is going to linger. I mean, I feel terrible for Willie Green and what he's coming into, but – Man, they've lost a couple tight ones. They've lost a couple blowouts. They, it, it's looking like a rough year. Yeah, I don't know how they dig out of this early hole, J.D. I mean, they're one in six, top of the worst record in the league. They're going on a West Coast road trip where it's hard to find a win out of any of the four games. Maybe at Sacramento, maybe. But I think the best – They already lost, though. I know. They lost at home to them. But of course, they didn't have Brandon Ingram. So, maybe – your best case scenario is two and nine, your first 11 games. Uh, that's, that's exactly what they didn't need in this critical year to build some confidence, enthusiasm in the face. Uh, and I don't know how you dig out of it. Uh, just looking at Zion Williamson before the game the other day, I mean, he's got a long way to get back in condition. He's going to have to play himself into playing shape. And the difficult thing with that injury uh, is and I know because I've had a foot injury myself as a runner. You can't do any cardio very very much. You, you know you're, you have to get out there in the pool. It's not the same, so it's hard to burn off those pounds that you pick up because you can't really get on the treadmill and do the the, the cardio work. So it's going to take him a while to get in shape, and they may be so far out of it that they can't. Maybe they can skeech into the playoffs as the tenth seed. I don't know, uh, but I just think. When, when everybody's attention turns to the Pelicans after the Saints season's over, are there going to be people going to the games? Can they can they get on a roll enough to get people back into the arena? Because I think that's ultimately going to what, going to what David Griffin's job, and make no mistake, his job's on the line this year, is going to come down to can they do enough to build enthusiasm in the fan base to, to restore confidence in, in the leadership? And then all it does is – fuel that fire even more that started to burn in, in the offseason about whether Zion's going to continue to be here. And here we go again, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, and now Zion Williamson. Um, I mean, you can't expect that that's going to be a great relationship going forward if you have a 
you know, a 30 and 42 type season? Well, I think the one good thing in that regard, there's two good things. 30 and 52, sorry. I think Zion is wired differently than than AD or Chris Paul. So I think that's one thing I think that works in New Orleans' favor. He's the kind of guy that he feels good about the situation. I think he likes New Orleans. Uh, You know, he's a small town guy, Spartanburg, South Carolina. I don't think he's got big city lights in him. I think that's good. He's wired more like Tim Duncan than I think Anthony Davis put it that way. And the other thing is I think Willie Green, you touched on that. Uh, the players really like Willie Green. He's, he's got the culture to take care of. And, and look, David Griffin's a part of that too. It's not just Willie Green. Uh, the culture, I think, is a positive. Uh, it, you know, so that, I think, is going to be a big part of if Zion Williamson stays here long term. Do they have a functional organization? Is it a positive environment to play in? And so far, everything I hear. Um, I haven't looked at, lastly before last, this is the last question before I let you go. I haven't even looked at the spread yet. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to call that up while we live on the, I'm sure you love that. Cause I, I got to know what it is. Cause it's going to be ugly and I'm going to do the, uh, the early college lines here. Let, let's find it here. I got to scroll way down cause they're playing at six 30 and, um, you talking about Alabama? No, yeah, I'm talking about LSU, Alabama. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask. Twenty-eight and a half. Twenty-eight and a half. That's exactly what it is. I found it right. The money line is you can get, you can bet a hundred dollars on LSU to win two grand. So, uh, wow. Uh, it, it's the first time since I believe 2006 Scott Rabelais said that this game has not been on CBS. What are the chances that LSU make this a game that people want to watch past halftime? I don't see any way they can do that. Uh, you know, like they're going to play hard. I mean, that's one thing Ed Ogeron, he still has the locker room behind him, but I just think the talent disparity is too great. And Alabama's out trying to get style points right now to try and get back into college football playoff picture. They're in it, but they do not want to slip in any way. And we all know that Nick Saban, just like Lane Kiffin, I mean, it's ruthless in the SEC West. These coaches recruit against each other. Programs recruit against each other. We just saw a flip of the car kid from LSU to Alabama. Uh, these guys are going to step on LSU's throat and show no mercy because they look at the big picture. Hey, we need to show that our, our program is going in this trajectory and that program in Baton Rouge is going this way and we want to blow them out. And especially after we saw a couple of years ago what LSU did to Alabama and Tuscaloosa and the we all know the, the post-game video from Coach O. I don't think there's going to be any mercy. I agree with you. And, um, you know, the recruiting process these days are merciless. It just goes to show, Dunk, that it's going to be ultra, super important for them to have – they better have who they want in mind and all from as soon as that last day of the season is over for whatever team that guy is coaching, <clears throat> Mel Tucker. Um, to, they better call him and – get him to sign on as soon as the season's over because you cannot afford, especially now with the early signing day, uh, it used to be, you know, whatever, you could change somebody's mind until February. Now they're signing in December. And losing Aaron Anderson is, again, as somebody that's covered high school football for, for many years now, you're talking about a, a super ultra high speed talent that, that LSU lost out on and gave to gave away. Well, they didn't give him away. He went on his own. But the Crimson Tide got themselves a legitimate NFL-type player. 
And uh, you can't, you can afford, you can't afford to lose many more of those. And uh, the punch tool kid, Jacoby Matthews, they still have a chance to get him, but they're going to need to bring in a coach like super soon. Yeah. And I've talked to Skidward about that and, and he's not concerned that much about the recruiting part of that. I, yeah, sure. I think he understands it's important, but I think his bigger concern is getting the right man into that job long-term. And I have no doubt he's going to do that. If you're an LSU fan, you should feel really good about the, the direction and the leadership of Scott Woodward. Uh, I've been very impressed with him so far, and uh, he's going to bring in somebody top-notch. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind, and I guarantee you he's already got somebody targeted, and it's going to be a quick, clean transition. It's not going to be one of those. You know, back when I covered the team, J.D., when, when Nick Saban got hired, I remember there was like a coaching search, and uh, they were looking at Glenn Mason and Mark yeah. Rick, and there was all different names. That doesn't go on anymore. It's all handled behind closed doors with agents, search firms, and it's like a cut and dried thing that's locked up. Uh, you don't get to deny people, you know, to turn the job down. It's not going to be that way. Uh, this thing will be locked up, and it'll be a very quick uh, naming process, and they'll get hit the ground running here. I guarantee it. And I know people, uh, they they they've talked and talked and talked. LSU is one of the most even at this point right now with all the things that have gone on, LSU is one of the three or four most desirable jobs in college football. So don't let anybody kid you or fool you or make you think any, anything differently. There are guys that at major D one schools that are going to want to come here. So I heard uh, some of my media friends and people that are actually my friends chirping last night about how, you know, they have Billy Napier as their backup plan. They're never going to get to a backup. There's no backup plan. They're going right. to get pretty much who they want. I mean, it's 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 not only one of the best jobs because of the recruiting base here and all the you know the only major power five school in the state. We all know those advantages. But now that you have strong leadership from the president to the athletic director, now it becomes a much more attractive job. But you've got to find the right fit here. I've always said this about LSU, though it. It's a bit of a political minefield, the head coach at LSU. It takes a strong head coach like a Nick Saban to maneuver and navigate that. And uh, I think Scott Woodward knows that. That's the thing. He, he went to school there. He knows the school. He knows the landscape politically. Uh, he's going to get the right person. And that's why I believe – I don't know who they're going to hire. Uh, I've said this before, but I know who they're not going to hire. It's not going to be some – I think some up and coming assistant, somebody that is learning on the job, it's going to be a bona fide proven head coach that can come in here and look Alabama in the eye and not be intimidated. That's what he's going to hire. He's going to hire somebody that can compete with Alabama because he knows that's the path to win a national title. And it can't be somebody that's an up and comer that's going to get out coached every weekend by Nick Saban and that machine they've got in Tuscaloosa. I'll give anyone three to one odds right now. They can have the field. I get Lincoln Riley, Mel Tucker, and James Franklin. And people can have the rest of the field, and they can call me or text me or email me or whatever. I'll set, and it'll have to be for a po' boy of arcs. I'm not going to bet anybody money. Um, but po' boy, barks, uh, whatever you want, uh, a, a sandwich at McDonald's, whatever, it's going to be one of those three guys. So. That, that's my yeah. Opinion. It's going to be somebody like that. I mean, I wouldn't throw Jimbo Fisher out either. I mean, somebody that's a proven 
winner that is not intimidated by the challenge of being in the same division with the greatest dynasty in modern college football. That's who it's going to be. Mel Tucker wasn't intimidated on Saturday, was he? No, no, he wasn't. But it, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Alabama. I know, not, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. I know, like I said, I know it's not going to be. It's not going to be a Joe Brady type. Yeah. And and I have great respect for Joe Brady. Right. But he's not the right fit for this job at this time. I agree. Uh, Dunk, I hope your uh, fantasy football team is doing better than your fantasy baseball team did. And I hope you don't have Derek Henry. Oh, okay. I'm riding the Patrick Mahomes train, and it's not Ooh. good right now. Ooh, so. That's not good. Well, who knows? Maybe you'll get a good one tonight. I think uh, Kansas City is – we've said do or die before, but now it's really do or die. And those teams in the AFC West keep leaving the swing and door open for them to come on in. And you keep leaving that swing and door open, Mahomes going to say, okay, I'll come on in. Um, yeah, I still think they're going to win the division, so we'll see. Hey, I, thank, I thank you. you. He needs to come back, buddy. He needs to come back. He's a rally game tonight. <laughs> we'll find out. I'm not playing against him, so he, he's more than welcome to. Um, dude, seriously, appreciate you coming on on a Monday morning when I know yesterday, especially playing at 325 and coming off the, the fun you had coming, going and coming from Seattle was uh, – you had a quite, a quite a week. So I appreciate you coming on and spending an hour with me. Yeah, man, my pleasure, bud. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Jeff Duncan, always some great insight. And, um, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to see what happens to quarterback. He says it's Taysom time. Maybe not this week, although this is the Falcons are a Taysom time type of week. I mean, I knew he wasn't coming back this week. You don't want to bring him back against a front line like Tampa Bay has. So it does not surprise me at all, even if he were ready, that Taysom wouldn't have come back this week. Uh, got a little interesting there, though. If Simeon would have got hurt, I mean, I'm guessing it was Kamara. But uh, you can bet that Ian Book will now be active for the rest of the season. Um, whether he sees any playing time, we'll have to figure that out. But, uh, you know, I'm high on Ian Book, and I have been. Anyone that has talked to me about it, I've told you what I thought. I mean, it, he has a lot of the same kind of traits that Drew Brees had. Again, I am not comparing Ian Book to Drew Brees. You can't compare anybody to Drew Brees at 20-something years old, no matter how good they've been, whoever, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he has a lot of those traits, and it'll be interesting to see if he uh, becomes a part of the game plan at any point going forward. I suspect he will. Um, Maybe we'll get a chance to, to see him at some point, depending on how things go. But before we call it a day... Halloween's Tricks and Treats did not end Sunday without some interesting sports action. Dallas finding a way to win without Dak Prescott. Can we just write off the Vikings now? You can't beat Dallas without Dak Prescott. Some dude named Rush, Connor Rush. And something wasn't right with Zeke, obviously. He didn't play all that much. Tony Pollard played more than than Zeke did, I believe. Except Zeke made a great play at the end of the game to help him win win that thing. And uh, I got bailed out with the, the pick that I had to make on Tuesday for sure. You know, we, I make my NFL picks on Tuesday, and at the time, no one knew anything about Dak, and Dallas was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I said how much I hated the pick. I made it anyway, and I even took it for real on a Thursday when 
I still thought Dak was going to play. And then Dallas went from a two and a half point favorite to a three point dog. And I still took Dallas and I got bailed out. I think I got bailed out as much by Kirk Cousins, who's awful in primetime, except for a playoff game against the Saints. That wasn't really in primetime, but when you're playing in the playoffs, every game's primetime. But that's a whole other story. And what about the New York football Jets? They have looked incredibly lousy for all but two games this year. How is it, how in all that is holy... Had they defeated potentially the two best teams in the AFC? Well, maybe not now that Derrick Henry's out. But the Titans and now the Bengals, the knockout pool busters. I told you in my column Wednesday not to take Cincinnati. And had the Caesars app been available to use yesterday, I would have racked up on that money line. I knew it was not a good spot for the Bengals, just like this week is not a good spot for the Saints. Do not take the Saints in your knockout pool this week if you're still alive. This is. I'm not saying the Saints are going to lose, just like I wasn't saying the Bengals were going to lose last week. But I'm saying there's a chance. Uh, there's a decent chance. You know, they just the Bengals for them. They are coming off their emotionally charged win against the Ravens. They got the Browns coming up this week. We'll see what happens to them this Sunday. The Browns were almost equally as disappointing. They lost to a Pittsburgh Steelers team that didn't have a kicker for the final three quarters. And what about the Los Angeles Chargers? I was right about them early in the season when I said they weren't as good as everybody thought they were. But like some chooky, I, I, I bought in and I picked them in my column this week. In fact, I took them against the Ravens before their bye week. Okay, we know now. They just had a couple of good weeks. They are not as good as everybody thought they were. I was right in the beginning of the season. Usually I'm pretty good at figuring out teams as they go along. This one I was not. I, am, I was not good about the Chargers. They're going to be a non-win team, maybe 10, if, they're, if they get a little lucky. They're, they're a ways away. They're not ready. Justin Herbert, look, and I thought it was interesting too, Jared Cook um, in that game, right as the Saints, right around the same time that the Saints were Making that, uh, making the pick six. It was a little bit before that, but Jared Cook ran his route incorrectly, and it cost the Chargers a pick six. I felt like I was watching the playoff game from last year. Uh, before we get to the last uh, item of the sports world tonight, Monday Night Football, Kansas City is hosting the Giants, and as I said against Duncan at the end there with fantasy, all joking aside about fantasy. I know the Chiefs have basically had some do-or-die times at, at, at different points of the season. And they have looked awful. So I'm not telling you to go bet the farm, but it is absolutely do-or-die time now for the Kansas City Chiefs. If they stink it up again, even if, if they win, if they stink it up again, I'm, I'm selling. I'm, I've been, it's like that, that crypto that you've been holding on to. The one that keeps going down and down and down and down. But by God, at some point, they're going to come back up. I spent a lot of money on this crypto. you got to think that at some point they're going to come back. I take the Chiefs, to, and I give the 10. Yeah, that line is kind of going back and forth. It started at 10, went down to, I think it went down as low as 9, and then went back up to 10, and I'm, I'm going to give the 10. We'll see. Lastly, the World Series. We've talked enough about the Pelicans, and we'll talk more about them Wednesday. Ugh, just yuck. 
the World Series. The Astros have staved elimination with a 9-5 to win Sunday night in Game 5. And now they go home for Game 6 on Tuesday and hope they will have a Game 7 on Wednesday. We shall see. Their pitching is not in, not in all that great a shape. And even the Braves without Charlie Martin, they still have Max Fried and Ian Anderson, who was just incredible um, the other night. Just, what was that, game number three? Incredible on Friday night. So we will talk about more about that on Wednesday. I hope we still have a World Series to talk about. I love game sevens. And I've mentioned it many times, even though I have a bet on the Astros, it's hard for me to root for them. But I will be rooting for them on Tuesday because I want to see a Game 7. I love Game 7 baseball. I know a lot of you feel the same way about it in basketball. I'm not quite as in love with Game 7s in basketball because sometimes I think they get a little staged. That's a whole other story. They're going to go there right now. But um, I love Game 7s in baseball. I hope we get to see one. We'll talk about all sorts of things. By, uh, by Wednesday, the trade deadline will have passed, so we'll have a better idea of the Saints' immediate future. A quarterback, maybe we'll find out a little bit more by, about Taysom Hill's status. And we will talk with Saints. We'll talk both Saints and Pelicans with David Grubb, host of Crunch Time on ESPN's 103.7 FM and the host of the Bird Calls podcast. Um, yeah, we have to talk about the Pelicans. I know some of you don't really want to hear about it. We, we do. I mean, they, they are a major franchise here in New Orleans. We have to talk about them, even though it might be a little sad. Also, bet.noah.com sports betting director Zach Ewing will be on to talk about the new sports book at Harris. He was there yesterday, and um, I look forward to talking to him about that. In fact, um, we're going to be on later today. Um, with Trey Wingo, I believe, is joining us on the Odds and Ends show. So make sure to check that out along with our other other videos at bet.noah.com. But that is going to wrap it up for episode number 17. One more reminder that you can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com, on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. You can listen to this podcast in a multitude of places, including the one you're listening to on right now. But if you haven't yet, search for Datitude. And make sure to subscribe so you can find out whenever the new, newest episodes come on. I want to thank Jeff Duncan one more time for spending part of his busy Monday with me. And again, come back Wednesday for David Grubb and Zach Ewing. And on Friday, more great picks with Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick. We had another excellent weekend. You guys need to pay attention. We are racking it up as we dive into Saturday's college football action. First weekend in November, always, that's when you know it's getting for real in college football. When you get to November, first big rankings come out on Tuesday evening. What will happen in week nine of the NFL? We will tell you if you join us on Friday. Hey, if you're a hoot enjoy this All Saints Day by soaking in the big victory over the Buccaneers. Let the experts figure out what to do about the injury with Jameis. And again, we'll find more about, out about that probably later today or tomorrow. Soak in this glorious, beautiful fall weather, and we will talk to y'all on Wednesday. Peace and love, my friends.